The speed limit in front of Asbury United Methodist Church in suburban Kansas City is just 35 miles an hour. That gives people plenty of time to read the sign out front. Their sign man offers playful interaction with the Kansas City Chiefs and their fans. When Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs star quarterback, sprained an ankle in 2019, the sign declared the church was having a Mahomes ankle healing service. His knee made the sign more recently. Some weeks are easier than others. When they played the Bills, the office coordinator suggested Sunday dinner, buffalo wings. And then last summer, when the Kansas City Chiefs hosted the NFL draft, the sign read, Jesus said 11 out of 12 draft picks ain't bad. They even invited Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift to have their wedding at Asbury UMC. If there's something major happening in the world, we'll comment on that. We'll be serious when it's necessary and it's on people's minds. And some weeks they literally can't think of anything and they just put that in the sign. We could think of anything this week. It's just a way to be engaged with a community that's fun and lighthearted. You deal with a lot of serious stuff with the church and necessarily so. And now when people visit the church, we hear, wow, you guys really are reflective of that attitude that you put out there. A nice, fun, welcoming place to be where anybody can show up and be themselves and enjoy community. Depending on how the game goes this Sunday, they might have a service of celebration on Pat Tuesday or wait for the dust to settle on Ash Wednesday if they lose. Their hope is this, that what happens in Las Vegas stays in Kansas City. Today we look at one of the most amazing signs in the Gospel of Mark, the Transfiguration, a glimpse of the glory of God on a mountaintop. So hear the good news from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah, Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the good news according to Mark. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us to reflect the light that you shine through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Want to get away? Jesus invites his disciples to get away with him to the mountains. We often want to get away, don't we? But how often do we get away with Jesus? Something to consider as Lent begins this Wednesday. Taking a Sabbath day to enjoy the blessings and the gifts of God. Finding some margin in our lives. Taking time to breathe. Seeking to be made new, renewed in God's love for us. In this passage, we witness a profound moment where Jesus reveals his divine nature to his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. His appearance changes, shining with a brilliance they could never imagine. In the midst of this extraordinary event, two figures appear alongside Jesus, Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. Jesus had just finished telling his disciples some pretty heavy stuff that he would undergo great suffering, be rejected and killed, and after three days, rise again. Peter, the saint of awkward moments, 
Mr. Impetuous takes Jesus aside and rebukes him for telling him them all this. And Jesus responds by saying, get thee behind me, Satan. And in that moment, Peter must have really wanted to get away. Then Jesus calls to the crowd along with his disciples and says to them, if any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. We join Jesus and the disciples six days after that declaration. This may have been to spend the Sabbath day on the mountain, a time to rest and recharge after a hike. But then Peter, James, and John get a glimpse of Jesus' divinity as Jesus' clothes become a dazzling bright, which was miraculous in itself in those days before bleach and after such a dirty, sweaty walk up the mountain. Not only do Jesus' robes blaze with glory, but Moses and Elijah are there talking with Jesus. It must have been so nice to see Jesus having a great conversation with other religious leaders after spending so much time at the base of the mountain fighting with the religious leaders down there. Peter, Mr. Impetuous, speaks again without thinking. The text says he didn't know what to say, but he speaks anyway. Have you ever been there? That is when I really want to get away, when I have spoken without thinking. Peter offers to build three tents, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And before Jesus can respond, a voice from the cloud echoes the voice at Jesus' baptism, this time talking directly to the disciples, saying, This is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And suddenly they looked around and they were alone with Jesus. And then Jesus tells them not to tell anyone about what they just saw, not until after the resurrection. I think Jesus was trying to tell them this, you won't fully understand the glory until you have stood by the graveside. You won't understand salvation before you experience the sacrifice or the holy without the hurt. The victory doesn't mean the same without the valley. The valley, the hurt, the sacrifice, and the graveside provide moments of clarity for us all. In the first Frozen movie, we find Elsa, who is at the time misimprisoned. She has locked herself away because she does not know how to handle her gifts. Yet in the second movie, she moves to being Miss Impeccable, unstoppable, as she sings, show yourself, show yourself, I'm dying to meet you, show yourself, it's your turn. Are you the one I've been looking for all of my life? Show yourself, I'm ready to learn. In this powerful anthem, like Jesus' journey up the mountain, Elsa embarks on a journey of discovery, searching for the source of the mysterious voice calling out to her out of a cloud. Ultimately, the voice helps her to embrace her true identity, and she's transformed, transfigured with dazzling white robes. Jesus hears the voice of God and is transformed before the disciples, revealing a glimpse of his true identity. Jesus shows himself to the inner circle of disciples, but they're not ready to tell others the fullness of what this means. I imagine Jesus wanting to say, how do you like me now in all my glory? Peter loves what he sees and wants to hold on to that moment, saying it's good for us to be here. Yet the voice from heaven seems to say, let it go, Peter. You can't hold on to the mountaintop moments. There's work to be done down in the valley of life. Jack Harbaugh tried to teach his sons, James and John, that same lesson. He wanted them to say, it is good for us to be here wherever they were better known as Jim Harbaugh, the coach of the Michigan Wolverines, or he was, and John Harbaugh, the coach of the Baltimore Ravens. 
When Jim and John were growing up, there was a local car dealer there in Ann Arbor that had a program where the coaches at Michigan got to drive the extra dealer cars. Their family didn't have much money and their dad coached at Michigan, so their mom and dad shared one of those dealer cars. And sometimes the boys would walk outside with their dad to go somewhere and mom had taken the car. There would be no car in the driveway and they would ask, dad, where's the car? And their dad would tell them, no car today, guys, we're walking. Grab a basketball, a hundred dribbles with the right, a hundred dribbles with the left, let's go. And so they would dribble down the sidewalk wherever they were going with their dad leading the way yelling, who's got it better than us? And Jim and John Harbaugh trailed behind chanting, nobody, who's got it better than us? Nobody. The chant has followed the Harbaugh's throughout their football careers through victory and defeat. Well, especially in defeat. With this simple phrase, their father taught them to appreciate what they had and to know what you have is enough. But it can't be easy to forget that in times of trial and struggle. I imagine John Harbaugh sitting at home during the Super Bowl with the rest of the Ravens and being asked, who's got it better than us? Uh, the Niners and the Chiefs have it better than us. But he was taught to say nobody. Nobody's got it better than us. Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration says to James and John, who's got it better than us? And I imagine James and John yelling, nobody. Nobody's got it better than us. We've seen the glory of God. They've seen a glimpse of God's power and might. And the glimpse of glory is a gift. But Jesus does not want them to misunderstand. Following him will not be all glory. And they will not fully understand the glory without the grind. Who's got it better than us? Nobody. I truly believe that. We have been so blessed, even in times of difficulty, for we have seen the light of Christ and it shines in and through us. How amazing is it that our scripture text for this week is about Jesus himself shining and we got to host Night to Shine this weekend where we got to see pure joy on the faces of our honored guests and their families. And you know this, that joy looks different after you've been on a difficult journey. Glory looks different after you've stood at the graveside and the days of grinding it out make gratitude so much sweeter. For some reason this week, I did research into the creation of the red solo cup. Maybe it's because for the first time, both Super Bowl teams wear red. The inventor, Robert Hulsman, also co-created the traveler's lid for coffee cups based on a sippy cup for children. He was the father of 10 children but suffered in his later years with Parkinson's. One of his sons said that the only place his father could find peace in his final days was sitting in a pew at their church. It was the only thing that calmed him. In other news, Toby Keith, Mr. Irreverent, died this week at the age of 62 after a battle with stomach cancer. In a recent interview, he said, cancer's a roller coaster. You just sit here and wait on it to go away and it may never go away. He said his Christian faith was helping him get through the treatment and the potential dark outcome. Toby Keith was already in his 30s when he signed his first record deal back in 1993. He knew the grind that came before the glory, having scuffled for years to make it in the music business. He'd previously worked as a rodeo hand, a roughneck in the Oklahoma oil fields, and even worked as a semi-professional football player to support his young family. 
Unlike many country artists today, he wrote most of his own songs. And two days before Clint Eastwood was to start filming his movie, The Mule, which incidentally was two days before Clint's 88th birthday, Toby Keith was golfing with Eastwood in a charity golf tournament at Pebble Beach. Keith marveled that the elder Eastwood was able to get about so well, let alone work and film movies. So he asked him, how do you do it? How do you stay so pry, spry? And Eastwood said to Keith, I just get up every morning and I go out and I don't let the old man in. Toby Keith knew immediately he had to write a song with that line. Don't let the old man in. And the song ended up being used in Eastwood's movie, but went mostly ignored by the country industry at large. Last year at the People's Choice Country Awards in September, Toby Keith performed the song. You hear it differently knowing he's in the midst of his struggles with stomach cancer and yet the hope still shines through. The song had a different impact as he faced his own mortality at 62. Take a look. Don't let the old man in. I want to live some more. Can't leave it up to him He's knocking on my door And I knew all of my life That someday it would end Get up and go outside Don't let the old man Yeah, many moons I have lived My body's weathered and warm Just ask yourself how old would you be If you didn't know the day you were born Try to love on your wife And stay close to your friends Toast each sundown with wine Don't let the old man in Friends, the glory looks different after you've faced the grave. I know that Clinton Toby meant to not let our calendar age define us, but as I listened, I began to hear it another way. Jesus came to call us, to call us all to let the new creation live in us the one you caught a glimpse of on the Mount of Transfiguration. You are made new in Christ Jesus. Don't let the old man or woman in. Don't let the person you used to be take back over your life. Trust in the one who gives us a glimpse of the glory that is to come. For in Christ, you are a new creation. And when you let Christ in, you can truly say, nobody's got it better than us. And no one knows that more than Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy. There's nothing purdy about being drafted last in the NFL draft and being declared Mr. Irrelevant, the 262nd overall pick. Purdy credits divine intervention to his success. He's been through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, but he's made it through adversity. Purdy said this, I was reminded what Jesus told us thousands of years ago. If you try to chase fame and status and money, you'll lose your life. Keeping your eyes on Jesus and his promises, that's a life worth living. Purdy went on to say, God is faithful. 
He's never done with a story, even when you think he is. So whether you are on the mountaintop or in the valley or struggling with the daily grind, may the light of Christ shine through you so you can respond to the call. Who's got it better than us? Nobody. Nobody. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.